What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode 10 of season 3 of So What? It's me, your host, Isabella Rosner, and I'm here to take you on a magical mystery tour of needlework once more. Today's episode is with the wonderful embroidery artist Jessica Tang. Jessica is perhaps best known for her girl series, embroidered pictures in which Asian women are silhouetted with Asian textile patterns to obscure their identity. But she is known for much more than just that. I really love Jessica's embroidery style, so it's an honor to have chatted with her about her influences, process, and textile inspirations. A treat! A joy! Before I introduce Jessica, let me just go over the So What social media stuff. You know it, you love it, etc., etc. What if I called it Sochmead from here on out? Sochmead? stuff instead of social media? No, I hate it. Never mind. Anyway, you can see images of Jessica's work and everything else we talk about on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at So What Podcast. You can also check out the pod's website, which is at SoWhatPodcast.com. Love to provide content for you all. Okay, back to Jessica. Jessica is, as I mentioned, an embroidery artist. Her work has been displayed in exhibitions across the United States, from California to New York and everywhere in between. Her work has been written about in publications including Heavy Metal Magazine, MarthaStewart.com, and TextileArtist.org. While many of her works are flat, two-dimensional pieces, a lot of her stuff is more sculptural and three-dimensional. These sorts of pieces mimic Asian and Asian-American non-textile goods like a takeout box, a porcelain plate, and a white rabbit candy wrapper. Her artist statement reads, quote, Embroidery is versatile in mimicking the original object in shape and design, but still distinct enough to be recognized as something else. The stitches are soft but substantial, more tangible. With embroidery, I explore my Asian-American-born identity, the dualism of being too Asian to be American and too American to be Asian. In my object series, I recreate familiar Asian-American objects that take on the visual identity of the original object but reject said identity due to its material. In my girl series, I replace the facial identity of suggestively posed Asian women with Asian textile patterns. The patterned skin creates a broader spectrum of Asian identity. It becomes more ambiguous and fluid as identity moves between the two, end quote. And on that note, with Jessica's own words, let's get into the interview. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. I've loved your art for a long time, so I'm really excited to talk to you. Thanks. I feel honored to be invited. This is my first podcast. Oh my God, I did not know that. Well, you deserve to be on all of them. So I'm honored that it's like, this is the first one. How did you come to be an embroidery artist? What was your life path? So I've always been into the arts ever since I was a kid, but I, uh, let's see, I dabbled into some fiber arts, like knitting as a kid, but it wasn't until college that I kind of found embroidery by mistake. Uh, I had a course where we, in preparation for our senior exhibition, I would experiment with different techniques and materials and it being college and one of the closest things nearby was a a, a noodle cup. So like a, you know, ramen noodle in a cup. Yeah. 
Um, so I thought, oh, wouldn't this be interesting to stitch into that cup? Um, and obviously styrofoam is not that great to stitch into. It's not very stable, but I really liked the imagery of the cup noodle. And so I then, instead of just using styrofoam, just went ahead with fabric and recreated that object, which started my, you know, journey with embroidery. And um, yeah, kind of, I guess the rest is history. It was all that. started with a cup noodle. That is, <laughs> that is the most iconic college student. <laughs> I just am obsessed with that because so much of my college, so many of my college memories are of me at like 11.55 p.m. going with four quarters to the shop that closed at midnight to get my midnight ramen, like my midnight cup of noodle. So, wow. Thank you for commemorating <laughs> this, um, the, the, the cup noodle lifestyle. So in the artist statement on your website, you write, quote, I explore my Asian American born identity, the dualism of being too Asian to be American and too American to be Asian, end quote. So what I'm curious about is what is it about embroidery that makes it the right medium to explore those multiple identities? And are there ways in which your upbringing has influenced your needlework? Well, honestly, like I, at the point before I started embroidery, I kind of got bored with uh, painting and sculpting with your traditional materials and after stumbling onto textiles I felt that embroidery was very tactile and nostalgic which I find comforting and luckily it can also sort of translate into other I guess imitations of styles so it looks like line work it could be sculptural. So with embroidery, it just kind of felt more uh, options were available, which helped translate the idea of recreating the Chinese Asian American objects um, to reflect that it looks like the object, but it is not. Mm. So in that way, that was my intention to recreate that dualism in my identity and also specifically recreating like objects that are significant as an Asian American. Gotcha. What is your favorite part of embroidery and what is your least favorite part? Favorite is when it's finished. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> least favorite part is filling god-awful large amounts of surface area. Okay, yeah, that's fair. With my work specifically, it's hair, which is quite important, you know, with the Asian identity thing. Yeah. Just making sure there aren't any holes and or gaps. And it's just, you know, that takes forever. <laughs> that's satin stitch, right? On that part uh, of the work, or is it not? Satin, split, back. It's like whatever I can do to just cover that thing. <laughs> well, you know, try not to run out of thread. Yeah, that's very fair. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like, am not a good enough stitcher to like I stitch but not as well as you but like oh my god the the areas of just like ground you gotta cover very intimidating yes okay this is not all the 310 I have like I have to stock up and clean out every store whenever I have to restock I was gonna ask like how how quickly do you go through 310 that black thread pretty quick I mean for an average 
size, I feel like I would go at least three, four full skeins. It depends. Plus, I also usually use it for outlines. Okay, that makes sense. Can I ask several logistical questions about that? Yeah. Thanks. One, <laughs> I've never seen any of your pieces in real life. I have a real, I have a lot of trouble understanding scale. So like how big, mm. how big is your average piece? How much ground are you covering? Uh, well, before, I mean, I've recently expanded to a bit larger, but mm. on average, it's anywhere between like eight by eight to 14 by 16 inches. That's, um, That's like a lot of ground to cover, I think. Yeah, it, it also depends on the size of the figure. Okay, um, yeah. Like right now, what I'm working on is, how big is that? Uh, I think it's, I'm working in circles mostly now. Mm. I have one that, how big is that? Like 12, 14 inches in diameter. Um, and then the next one is like 18 in diameter. Um but then one in between is a really small piece. So it, it varies. Like I can make small wrappers, which is like two by three inches to um, I've made a 30 inch diameter piece. Um, and this is years back, but I've made a four by four feet piece, uh. but it was a, a commission. So it's not like in the style of my work. Wow. That is amazing though. Yeah. It was yeah, I simply cannot imagine that, actually. Congratulations. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry, I think. Do you have favorite stitches? And if so, what are they? And do you have stitches that you hate and will never use ever? I mostly use backstitch. Mm. I don't really, like, go to different. Yeah, because you're well, outlining, right? You're, you're doing lines. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, it's all backstitch. Uh, on the rare occasion, I have used, like, French knots, bullion knots. Um, split stitch. I've tried chain stitch, but I don't really like how it looks. I haven't really come across a stitch I didn't like. I guess if it doesn't work. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I mean, never met a stitch you didn't like. Open I mean, I don't like it when the thread gets knotted up when it's not supposed to. Okay. But does that yeah. really count? <laughs> no, because I guess it's not technically a stitch. It's the, yeah. the stitch aftermath. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. My other question, which is unrelated, but related to the use of 310, because I know you use it for the hair and outlines. Um, how did your, do you have a name for it? Is it the women series? For all of your images with women, of which there yeah. are many, how did that yeah. series or how did those individual ones in different iterations come about? What is like the, the origin story of that? Well, a lot of the articles I reference the main influence as Inkanaga Yasunari painting. Mm. This is a Japanese painter who his work looked, I guess, kind of like woodblock prints, but he does these really intricate uh, patterns on the clothing. And often the color scheme is like sepia, so it looks yeah. a little bit older. Um, and so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to switch it up? So instead of the fabric having the pants, the skin would. 
And so that lends itself into the grill theories that I do. Um, but in terms of how I figure out the figures, it's, I just, uh, I have a huge file of like reference images on poses. Oftentimes I sort of Frankenstein the pose depending on what I need and how clear the pose is because it's often the silhouette that I need, not so much like the actual figure. Gotcha. And so it sometimes it's a bit muddy in terms of if you can see the original photo, it's fine, but it doesn't translate so well with outline. So that's how I just create the figures. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a requirement that it all has to be Asian women as reference, just sort of stick into the original intent. Um, so it's like, you know, with certain photography, like um, advertising with Asian women poses, you know, they, they can be of a certain style. Yeah. So that's, that is intended. Um, plus the hair so that's that's kind of how it all came about that makes sense thank you what I something I find so interesting but like it obviously makes so much sense I just haven't thought about it is that because you do silhouettes you need to do this sort of um easily legible human form in outline yeah. you it's mm -hmm. like kind of the opposite of what so many people do when they stitch. I feel like so much of embroidery, historic and present, contemporary, is about making like the human form as easily discernible as possible, like adding as much detail as possible, making, doing like thread painting portraits, that sort of thing, like yeah. um, creating the humanity of somebody, I guess, through stitch, if that makes sense. And you're kind of doing the opposite. You have to basically take somebody in a hugely racialized photo oftentimes mm. and like subtract all of you know you have to subtract the clothes they're wearing what their face looks like and you will have to be left with an easily recognizable human form it's so cool and it's so using the same skills the same like stitching vocabulary that everybody has but to do you know kind of like a similar purpose in terms of like expressing humanity, but using the opposite way of going about it. Another driving force is also um, the thought that, you know, obviously all Asians look alike. So when I make the work, it's sort of kind of, I guess, me playing with that thought. Because with the girl series, essentially I'm taking away their specific like ethnic facial features and then replacing it with perhaps a different signifier of identity mm -hmm. and so I guess in a way I'm just kind of like making that statement moot you know what I mean yeah so it's like thinking about race and you know stereotypes like sure we all have black hair for the most part, but it's like beyond that, it's sort of, I guess, a superficial thought. I mean, obviously, but I hope my work sort of, you know, 
tackles that in some way. Hell yeah. Absolutely. It does make sense. Thank you. I mean, I guess in, on top of me addressing the duality of the Asian American identity, it's also like with the Asian American identity, it's, it's also, you know, stereotypes and statements like that. And that's very present. Mm. So yeah, I think it's a little bit further in terms of like analyzing and understanding my work besides, oh, it's a sensual, sexy figure mm-hmm. who's Asian. So like beyond surface level intentions, I guess it, it does address the duality also with that duality, obviously being in, in America, racism is a thing so and sexism yeah so it's something that i'm like not obviously like making it clear but it's something that in my girl series i'm hoping to just connect somehow but yeah you know with my work i'm constantly trying to push the boundaries and you know make it better. Do you have a favorite piece of your own work or multiple? And if so, what is it slash what are they? As popular as they are, Mm. it's not a girl piece. I, I don't know. I, I think I have two favorites that come to mind is, and I haven't sold either because I, I like to keep them. Yes. Uh, they're the white rabbit candy wrapper yes and the chinese bowl yes i'm never letting those go (laughs) that and i can so understand why i yes they are the object series they're you know closer to my heart so that's why but they're not as popular as the girl pieces so and galleries tend not to ask for sculptural work so I'm like okay I I like all of your pieces a whole lot which is why we're here today but I think that that bull and that white rabbit wrapper are like probably two of my favorites from like a viewer's point of view because like I also love the tactility the three-dimensionality and the fact that like embroidery stitches when they're on clothing can be soft and smooth and you know, just an embellishment, but your stuff so clearly shows that they are strong as well. They can stand on them their own. They can turn a flat object into something three-dimensional and real and 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 very tactile. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, maybe I think that's like one of the things that I love most about embroidery generally, especially in comparison to painting and sculpture. You can have it both ways so easily Mm-hmm. and have the flat stuff but you can also have the stuff that stands on its own and so closely mimics what is real like not yeah. textile and what's interesting too is with the chinese bowl um with the way how i made it mm. the interior of the bowl is essentially the back of the embroidery yes. so not only do you get to see like the finished outer side you also get to see the sort of I guess history and the brain work mm-hmm. of the original piece so you get both best of both worlds and I find I sometimes forget to 
record or photograph the back of my more recent pieces because they're also quite interesting to look at you know yeah I like I yeah that is such a good point I think the backs of stuff like the inner workings of stuff is so mm-hmm. cool so for so many reasons but like one of the reasons I love it so much is with the historic stuff so I look at a lot of stuff from like 1650 like old old pieces of needlework oftentimes because it's 350 years old the front has faded but the back maintains its Mm. colors and like the original kind of integrity of the piece and I just always look at pieces no matter what time period they are and think about the back because I feel like the back or the inner workings or like the process those glimpses into what the process is like can tell us as much, if not more about the final piece than the front can. Mm. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it oftentimes has the capacity to like stick around longer. Out of curiosity for the Chinese bowl, how, what is the, what is like the the base fabric? Is it like embroidery on some sort of starched something? Is what? Uh, The only structure on that piece is a wire around the rim. And on the bottom, um, the embroidery basically keeps it up, which is great. That is amazing. I, that is amazing. It's on cotton or muslin, something like that. It's like just so representative of the fact that like embroidery can be this gentle, you know, domestic thing. But it has the capacity to do so much. It can stand Mm -hmm. on its own. It can create structure by itself. What is your favorite needleworked object or objects that's not your own stuff? Contemporary, historical, both, neither, whatever. What's funny is recently I've been getting into organza as the Mm -hmm. fabric. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know if it was subconscious or not, but I am a huge Dohosa fan. I love his home pieces. Me too. And I would die to own any of his work. And it's a shame that he doesn't have a lot of, I guess, merch besides like a book here and there. Yeah. Or his actual work, which is thousands of dollars worth. But like even for like a single, I don't know, light switch or an outlet, I would die for one of those. I would sell an organ. I, I love his work it. so much. It is so it's it I mean, it just it's not only is it amazing, and shout out to I don't know if you know the artist Kay, uh, Casey Zavalia. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so she was on the podcast last season and she introduced me to his stuff and I was like, oh my God, this has been around for like my whole life and I never knew about this. Like it, and now I'm like obsessed. It's- If you ever get the chance Mm. to walk through his work, (laughs) it is life-changing. I've had the amazing opportunity to sort of stumble onto his work when I was in Korea, studying Mm. abroad. And it was for his solo show, which I hit the freaking jackpot. Oh my God. And also, LACMA had one, but I think they recently switched it up. So I'm not sure if it's still there anymore. 
Oh, I also, there was one in the Brooklyn Art Museum that I went through. So I actually went three times. So it's amazing. And uh, I mean, obviously you can't touch it, but like to be able to walk through and just see how it's done and like the amount of detail. I have a, a highlight on my Instagram when I went to the Lacma one and I was just like fangirling so hard. Just be like, do you see this pipe inside the toilet? And do you see this faucet? Do you see this radiator? In love with his work. His stuff is so insanely mind-blowing. And also does, like, so I think there's a lot of similarity between your work and his in terms of what we were just talking about, of, like, the stability and strength of textiles, of, like, stitching. Mm -hmm. He is, like, the ultimate example of, like, taking the most delicate textile and turning it into a you know not livable but like protective and stand up by itself a bull structure it is I can't handle it I it's how does he do it I'm really thank you for for bringing him up again because like he's not been talked about I've not talked about him this season and I need to he just needs to be discussed all the time it's not just himself I know. Well, it's yeah, I think like, he has a team. That makes sense. I yeah. shout out to Dehosa and also his fabulous team of makers and artists because it is it is amazing. What do you think the role of needlework is in today's world? I don't know if role is the right word to use just mm-hmm. because it's not like the medium has a responsibility to, I guess, change anything. It's just how we interact with it. So true. obviously Thank there's you. been a huge uptick in interest. Um, I don't know if it's more interest than it has been historically, but obviously it's, I guess, more people are getting into it is what I'm trying to say. Mm. But um, I think besides it being, you know, obviously a craft or whatever activity to cope with a pandemic, it also brings awareness of the fact that, you know, fast fashion, um, labor issues, like anything related to textile, anything related to your work it's you know more people know about it I think that like you raise a good point which I don't know if it's actually been raised on this podcast before the like um connection between and correct me if I'm wrong but this is kind of like what I the conclusion I took based on what you were just saying the like connection between um making and awareness of what is basically making by oneself, making for oneself, plus the awareness of like, the awareness that comes with that, the awareness of like things like, oh, wow, it takes a lot of time and effort and labor to make my own clothes, to decorate my own goods, to knit a sock, to uh, embroider a tote bag or whatever. Maybe I should value this labor more. The making plus the awareness can equal change, can like Uh hopefully lead to change. Final question. How can people learn more about your work? And do you have anything you'd like to promote? 
Well, my main social media is on Instagram. My handle is Jessica So Ren Tang. And that's pretty much the most up to date. I do have a website, the same, jessicasorentang.com. Um, I have a few shows coming up. Uh, let's see. We love shows. Uh, the first show is in January in Portland, Antler Gallery. And then the second show is something that I'm kind of excited for because it's more on the object side of things. And that's a a red envelope show that's going to be in New York. And then the third show I have so far is going to be an online show and that'll be in March. So pretty much one show, January, February, March. Um, I'll have more information on Instagram when the time gets a bit closer. But I also have, I just started a Patreon for people who would be interested in supporting me and also, you know, seeing the work I'm doing in real time because most often galleries don't want me to share like a little too early before the show. Mm. But with scheduling and me having a day job and also how freaking slow the medium is, you know, I'm like working months in advance for for pieces. So I'm thinking if people want to see what I'm working on when I'm actually working on them, you know, Patreon's a thing. And I think the handle is also under the same, but with Patreon, I'm hoping as an incentive to offer, I guess a bit more in depth in terms of process and how I make my work. I'm totally open to like showing different techniques. Um, if there's interest, like how gallery work happens, suggestions, like advice. I don't know. It's just kind of like seeing how Patreon develops for me. Um, I'm not sure if I've figured out if I have time to do like physical rewards. But, you know, I, there's certain stuff that I haven't shared on Instagram in terms of my process. I am working on, well, trying to work on a passion project. So that's exciting. And I feel like that's something I would be able to share on Patreon. It is textile related and it's sculptural. Yes. Yes. And it's passion project. Yes. But, um. Obviously, the shows take precedent and day job. But um, I'm hoping I get a little bit of time before I get back to work to start on that. But I still need to set it up. But I've done a lot of, like, testing to see if it's possible. And it includes kind of a lot of technology. (gasps) How cool. Dohosa is shaking. He's out here positively shaking. Quite excited to see how that goes. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Congrats on it all. And thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. definitely want to encourage more people to go into fiber arts if they're interested. You know, yeah. so that's part of the reason why I share so much information on Instagram. Just like, hey, it, this is how you do it. If you want to do it, you know, I love and it. We need more Asians. Come on, Asians. If you want to make art. Come through. Do it. Through. Yeah. Yes. There we are. 
Thank you to Jessica for a great, insightful interview. What an honor it is to talk to artists whose stitching I just love so much. Ugh, what a treat. I learned a lot from Jessica, like how her embroidery journey began with stitching into a styrofoam cup of noodles, and how her girl series plays with identity and anonymity. But something I kept coming back to in the interview, and keep coming back to even now, is this idea of stitching as something that can be both soft and structural. I love that embroidery can be gentle, smooth, and fragile when its stitcher wants it to be, and hard, sturdy, and firm when the maker chooses. I think often about how embroidery can be a way for someone to express emotions and ideas felt and seen in the subject of the stitching, but before talking to Jessica, I hadn't really thought about how the structure of the stitching can also be meaningful. For Jessica's Chinese bowl, embroidery is used to create structure, but it's also used to mimic something equally fragile, but in a different way. Embroidery can rip and ceramic can shatter, but despite their delicacy, with care and love, they stay whole. And in the case of the white rabbit wrapper, that is an insane thing to say out loud, white rabbit wrapper, it's a tongue twister, Jessica uses embroidery to mimic a thin paper-based candy wrapper. She makes this paper-thin, tiny wrapper thicker and more sturdy, and in turn, more permanent. Her structural embroidery really does look like the non-textile objects they imitate, but her stitching transforms them. Hard objects become soft, ephemeral objects become permanent. But no matter what, these stitched goods are strong, solid, and full of strength. And that's really saying something, I think, given that embroidery is usually considered such a soft, gentle craft. It can be, yes, of course, but Jessica's work shows that it's what you make of it. Stitching can be strong, it can hold itself up. And I think that's surprisingly empowering and lovely. Also, before I conclude this episode, I want to read you all a quote from Jessica given to thefiberstudio.net in 2016. I just think it's a really, really good way to end this episode. Jessica said, quote, Embroidery is a slow and repetitive movement that often reminds me of Asian labor, particularly female labor and manufacturing. Each stitch I put in, especially in the food-related objects, like the Chinese bowl, chrysanthemum tea box, and teapot, reminds me of the invisible female labor that goes into family life, the food industry, and the manufacturing industry, end quote. I bring that quote up not only because it's a super salient point, but also because it summarizes so well Jessica's work, both the sculptural and two-dimensional stuff, and I also think it speaks to embroidery more generally. Embroidery is and always has been a slow, laborious thing, but I think we often lose sight of the amount of labor that goes into each stitch. And it's not just the stitcher's labor, it's the labor of the people who manufactured the thread and the linen and the embroidery needles. Embroidery itself is laden with labor, but it's also the product of more invisible labor, in this day and age, usually that of women, the work of many pairs of hands. The labor of stitch owes its existence to the labor of manufacture, and nowadays, the manufacture of most embroidery supplies does come from China. Contemporary embroidery exists because of Asian labor, 
So thank you to the invisible hands who make the supplies we use to stitch, and thank you to Jessica for the reminder and for the work that does much to bring that to light. And with that, I will bid you adieu for this week. Thank you for listening, and since I didn't say it before, happy 2022! Here's to a year that is hopefully happier, healthier, and a bit less disastrous than 2021. Now go out and stitch some stories, and if you haven't already, go out and try some white rabbit candies because they are literally so delicious! Ugh, I love them so much. Bye! (laughs) 